your seats. My name is Colby. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church and really uh, glad that you've taken the time to be with us. Take out your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 as we continue to work our way through Mark's gospel in the third week of our series. We're going to look at a few verses here. Uh, in verses 16 through 20. I just want to mention uh, the stage lighting in the auditorium is broken, um, so it's a little bit dim up on the stage. We have the uh, fluorescent lights on, and one of the things about that that you wouldn't know is as long as there's a band up here moving around and making a little bit of motion, they stay on, but they're also on a timer, and so when I'm standing here, at some point, they're just going to go off. All right, it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn dark up here, and I might step back and do a little cheer like I'm getting ready for the, for the football game, but, um, but I'm not. Uh, just trying to get the lights back on. All right. Um, hopefully you're turned to Mark chapter 1. Before I read this passage, I just want to say uh, a special word of thanks to... Uh, our single young adults, uh, the adults whose spouses are aw- have been away, and our teenagers who gave up their weekend this weekend to serve the married couples in our church. And uh, yeah, please just uh, recognize them. You know, we had an amazing marriage conference. It was a huge blessing. Um, if, if it weren't for those folks who gave up their time to serve, we wouldn't have had time to focus on what we needed to focus on in here. And so I'm thankful to be a part of a community where people make those kind of sacrifices for one another. And I just wanted to recognize and celebrate that. If, you missed, if you're married and you missed the um, marriage conference we had this weekend and you still want to benefit from some of the content, I'd encourage you to do two things. Find a couple that uh, did go and ask them what they learned. Take some time to hear uh, what was important to them. Uh, and then second, we have books available for $10 back here, The Marriage Knot. Uh, the couple that led our conference wrote that book, and a lot of the content we went through is in that book, and I would encourage you to grab it and pick it up and uh, be a part of that as well. So Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we ask that today as we place ourselves under its teaching and authority, Lord, that you would shape our lives for your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. I have this friend, Jason Pelt who is at the center of some of my craziest experiences in life. I don't know if you have a friend like that. Uh, Clint was close with him, too, and uh, he used to say about him, Jason is the only person I know that if he called me to go do something, I would drop what I'm doing to show up. Do you have someone like that in your life? Now, actually, if, if you know Clint, he actually said it a little bit differently, and I was trying to decide whether to say it this way, but I think you'll remember it better. 
Um, in particular, with Clint Fashion, he actually said, if Jason Pelt called me to go pee in a bucket, I would drop what I'm doing just to go see what's going on. And, uh, and it's true. There's just something about a pelt activity that you don't want to be left out of. One time for a Christmas party, we were all told to arrive and dress up in Victorian style. Tim and Amanda Long were there. Uh, very memorable event. And to come to Old Town Fredericksburg for dinner. By the end of the evening, we ended up on stage as the carolers at the Fredericksburg Community Christmas Celebration. None of it had been planned, and it all just happened like some sort of magic, and they thought we were supposed to be there. You know, I I was thinking about, about Jason a little bit this week as I was reading this passage and thinking about like, you know, what it takes to just drop what you're doing and to say yes to something you know we look at this passage particular and the shocking thing about it is the willingness to just drop what they're doing to prioritize what jesus was inviting them into there's one main point to this passage and it really is about that kind of invitation if you if i'm successful today uh, you're gonna feel the weight of this point a little bit pressing in on you And it's that Jesus is calling you to participate in his mission with a sense of decisive devotion. You know, what I was talking about with my friend Jason is that there are just this time he has this personality where he will call at certain times, not give you all the details, but you just have to decide, are you in or are you out? And really, that's the the power of Mark's presentation of the invitation to follow Jesus in this passage is a question, is a recognition that following Jesus calls us into some decisive moments in our life. And Jesus is calling you, as you hear these words through the writer Mark, telling us about his life and these first disciples, Jesus is calling you to participate in his mission with decisive devotion. When you look at the structure of this passage, it's just a few short verses, um, but you see that it is a cycle that is repeated twice with three ideas embedded in in it. So you got the first cycle where we see uh, the invitation of Simon and Andrew, and then you've got the second cycle where a similar invitation is uh, is issued to James and John. And so this twice-repeated cycle, and it's got these three ideas that are very simple and unadorned that are embedded in it. There's a statement about the identity in the cycle of these first followers. A little bit about, like, here's, here's these people that Jesus called. There's also a statement about the activity that Jesus is inviting them into if they follow him. And this activity that will shape their lives as disciples. And finally, there's a demonstration of the urgency or priority of what it looks like to respond to Jesus and follow Him. 
And the reason these disciples are highlighted in this passage is because they, they picture, in Mark's eyes, the proper priority of responding to Jesus in his kingdom. They lay down a sort of first pattern of what it means for someone to answer Jesus' invitation and call to be a part of his kingdom and really follow him and have their lives transformed. They're like a first pattern for us. And so because of that, they give vision to every follower of Jesus about the basic pattern of what it looks like, what it costs, what we'll be doing if we devote ourselves to being fashioned into Jesus' followers. So if we look closely at the passage and we reflect on it as a pattern of discipleship or following Jesus, we can see what is emphasized here. It's the identity and the activity and the urgency of a follower of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you learn anything today, I would want it to be these three things. The identity, the activity, and the urgency of a genuine follower of Christ. I I put them also in three questions in my head. Who does Jesus call to follow him? You'd be able to answer that question. Who does Jesus call to follow him? What does he lead them to do? And what does it require from them? For every follower of Jesus, we need to answer these three questions. Who does Jesus call? What does he lead them to do? And what is it going to require of us? Okay, let's, let's jump into that. So the first thing that we see here in the passage is this idea about the identity of those who Jesus is calling. And we see Jesus calls ordinary people in ordinary places. I want you to notice that the story is set up by, uh, by identifying the characters in the setting that are really a part of it. If you look at verse 16, passing along the side the Sea of Galilee, that's the setting. It's going to be important in a minute. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. He tells us a lot about these guys right here in, these, in this very first verse to talk about, to show us the pattern of discipleship. Now, a little bit you need to know is that Galilee, the sea, the region and the sea there where these disciples are, these first followers are called, is described in our English translation as a sea, but I want you to kind of be able to enter into the moment a little bit. It's more like a large lake. So if you imagine, it's it's 13 miles north to south and about seven miles wide at its widest point. I was thinking about Lake Anna down here in the middle of of Virginia. Um, It's probably smaller than Lake Anna in many ways. But you have this place, and and along that lake was a road called the Via Maris, also known as the Way of the Sea, uh, that ran up the western side of the lake uh, and connected travel from Egypt to Asia Minor, to Rome in the west, to other places in the east. And so you have this main road running up along this sea, and so it was common for people to travel by that and to to see the work that's going on along the shores of the Sea of Galilee where there's this thriving industry of fishing. 
the, the Sea of Galilee actually, uh, in ancient times, had a particularly abundant population of fish because of the conditions there. And so fishing is a major part of the business and culture and livelihood of the area. And, and there, fishing on this day, described, we find Simon and Andrew casting a net. And so you're going to see two references then to fishing. Actually, you see uh, Simon and Andrew, and Andrew they're, they're casting nets. And then you see this reference to the later brothers in the boat who are out in the boat mending nets. And there were two types of things that would happen as they fished. There was shallow water net casting and fishing that would happen. And so some of the fishermen are along the shallows and they're casting out the nets and pulling it back in. And maybe you've seen this type of fishing before. And others are out in the boat deep sea tossing the nets that go deeper and bringing it in and often dredge up things and become heavy and you've got to mend and sew these nets and so you got people standing in the shallows you got people out in the boats it's a fishing scene and Jesus is there it's just and and what I'd want you to see is that it's just everyday life in Galilee along the road where the people are working just everyday life going on as Jesus is walking by. Now Mark, as a gospel writer, he's not a biographer. He's not interested in getting bogged down in background details in this story. You notice how quick it moves? (laughs) You know, it's like, he uses the word immediately twice. We know from other gospels that this is not the first time that Jesus met these brothers that are mentioned. They're familiar with him in some manner, Mark, and Mark is not even interested in describing that for us because he's doing something else. You know, because Mark uses this short description to teach or formulate for us a simple idea about following Jesus, that becomes the focus. He's, he doesn't go into tons of details about them. So what he wants you to see is a couple of ordinary fishermen doing what they know in a very ordinary place along the Sea of Galilee. And just in case we miss it the first time, he gives us another round to see it in verse 19, where we see the pattern repeated with James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Some people say, well, why is it mentioned their dad here? And maybe it's because he's going to mention that they leave him behind in a second. But also, you know, in the early church, you had James, the brother of Jesus, and you had James, the son of Zebedee. And so there's a little bit of clearing up going on here as Mark is writing about key figures uh, that are in the life of the early church. But you'll notice he speaks to them as he goes a little further along, along the lake. And so you've got two scenes. You know, first one where Jesus is with James and Andrew. The second one we see him doing the same thing over again, just there in the workplace. In fact, the picture in the second time is like, Dad is there in the boat. There's some other hired workers. This is a work crew, and Jesus has arrived to make a call. He speaks to them as he goes a little further along and issues the same call. So, so what is this all about? Why take the time to kind of think about that scene? So the reason is, listen, hear the meaning of what's going on in this picture, what Mark wants us to see. Jesus is calling a group of people to join him in the work that he has come to do. And he's in Galilee, like there's a couple things about it. I've mentioned this before, he's in Galilee a very ordinary place instead of Jerusalem. 
So the first thing we see is like in the workplace and he's in Galilee rather than in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of religious practice, education, re- religious celebration. It's the place where the people thought that their spirituality really revolved around ultimately. And so if you were going to be a leader and find rising leaders, you went to Jerusalem if you really knew what you were doing. But here Jesus is by the sea in an ordinary place with ordinary people. So Mark wants to show that to us. He's in Jerusalem. or He's in Galilee, not in Jerusalem. He's in the workplace instead of the synagogue. Now, now Jesus is going to go to the synagogue eventually. And he's going to speak the word to those who are gathered for religious practice. But as he is inviting his followers to join them, you notice where he's at. He's in the workplace, in the ordinary place of people's ordinary lives. And he is addressing them, seeking them out, and gathering them to be the building blocks of this movement and kingdom in that really ordinary place. But as Mark shows us the sort of people Jesus calls to participate in his mission, it is a group of ordinary people in an ordinary place. Because the focus of Jesus' ministry and movement has always been ordinary people in ordinary places planting the seeds of the gospel. If you've ever thought, like, what's ground zero in the kingdom of God? Like, where's that? Man, maybe you would say in in some sort of seminary institution where people are being educated. They're, They're coming up with the important strategies. What's ground zero in the kingdom of God? Maybe you would think, uh, you know, some sort of denominational gathering where, uh, you know, church leaders who have been deemed effective and affirmed are gathering to make a strategy that they can hand down and and do that. That's the, the really important place. Like, what's ground zero in the kingdom of God? The answer Mark wants us to see is the ordinary lives of ordinary people. That's the center of his kingdom movement. That's where Jesus goes to find the people he's gathering. That's where Jesus calls his first followers in ordinary lives, in ordinary places. Because from then until now, the center of Jesus' work is right where you are. Such an important thing for us to think about. So Mark is writing this, and it made me think, why does Mark want to show us this? In part, the answer is because the people Mark is initially writing the gospel for are in Rome. They're in Rome. They're not in Jerusalem. And they're asking, Do, is, this, is this place central to God's work? Like, is my life and where I'm at central to God's work? There it is. There we go. I won't be able to read. So there they are in Rome, and they're not sealed with a religious certificate of approval, the people who are going to read this letter about Jesus. They're not there in the center of like an elite clearinghouse of spiritual matters. 
They're just everyday people throughout the Roman Empire who have heard the message of Jesus and have devoted themselves to following Him and drawing others into the promise of the Gospel. And Mark wants them to feel like they are right in the center of Jesus' work. The ministry of Jesus is to fish for and employ in the service people just like them. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, Paul reaffirms this. He says, For consider your calling, brothers, as he's speaking to a similar group of people. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And that's why I would say to you, Mark wants you to see that the center of God's kingdom in your life is right where, you, right where you're at. Right where he has you. He's doing work there. And you don't have to be great. You don't have to feel elite spiritually to answer the call to just be available to him be used Jesus makes ordinary places sacred see that's what Jesus does in fact we're going to see it all throughout this gospel Jesus making ordinary places sacred it's one of my favorite things about genuine Christianity the most powerful moments you will experience with God likely will happen in the most ordinary places with ordinary people The center of Jesus' mission is right there with ordinary people. There are no celebrities in God's kingdom. In fact, our obsession with celebrity culture is a distraction from the real work that God wants to do through everyday people like you and I. We are obsessed in the United States with fame and celebrity. And it's, it's in the church too. We find somebody who can speak well. And you're separated by distance and no time. And you like the way they can polish a message on the stage. And you think, that's the person that I'm going to devote myself to following. And, 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 and all the time, you think, that's someone who can really do ministry. That's someone who God uses. That's someone who's at the center of the mission of God. And all the time, Mark is wanting to say, don't you see that Jesus, he put the mission right where you are. You're right in the center of it. You don't need any of that. You know, I spend time paying attention to what's going on around me. And just recently, over the last two weeks, there's been a lot of people, like on Twitter, the formerly Twitter X, whatever it's called, uh, arguing about what this celebrity pastor said and what that celebrity pastor said and whether, whether they, we should listen to this person and that person. And, and, and you know... Uh, you can have opinions about all kinds of things people say. And the, the thing that I thought while I was seeing is, who cares? Like, really, who cares? Last time I checked, we have no one to follow but Jesus. And, you know, you can learn from other people and esteem that. But listen, the people that you want to be inspired by and learn to follow Jesus with are the people that are right around you in your ordinary life, in your context, figuring it out. That's why a community like this is so important. That's why you can't podcast the church. 
You need real people right where you're at in your life helping you walk with Jesus. And they don't need to just be the person here and the person that shows up behind the pulpit on Sundays. They're in your neighborhood. They're in your life group. They're walking with you. Those are the people that can help you figure out how to answer the call to follow Jesus where you're at. Jesus makes ordinary places sacred. There are no special special places we need to pilgrimage to. You can have your most important moment with God right here in a middle school auditorium. Right there in your life where somehow God is showing up seemingly out of nowhere. Now, if you're a Christian, I want to point out to you then where ministry really happens. It happens in the ordinary lives of people that God loves. If you want to be a part of what God is doing, get yourself in the middle of other people's lives. Like press in, get to know them, have dinner with them, ask questions, be a part of their lives. That is the place where ministry happens. If you want to be a part of God's ministry and mission, it will look like joining the ordinary life of other people where they are at and trusting these ordinary places are where God shows up and they're sacred. So now that we've had the opportunity to think about the ordinary identity of these first followers, let's look at verse 17 and see the activity that Jesus is calling them to join him in. So so I'm saying to you, you are right there. You are the person that God desires to build his kingdom on. Second thing we see is Jesus leads us into his mission. So what does he do? Where is he taking us? When we say yes to him. In verse 17, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I think it's important for us to pay close attention to what Jesus is doing here. He's setting a pattern that Mark follows in his writing of showing what he will develop his followers into. He describes his own mission through the metaphor that is familiar to them of fishing. Except for his target is gathering people into his kingdom. You know, I always like to point out this kind of fishing wasn't kind of the hook fishing. You know, because I always imagine fishing for people yanking them with a hook. This doesn't sound so good. You know, they're net casting, right? They're just like gathering them in, right? They're still alive and flopping in there. You know, but uh, so just in case, like that image just works for me. It's like just helps me realize what's, what's going on. Y'all know I like to fish. I resisted every urge to make this about my fishing stories. <laughs> but like all good word pictures... We're not intended to overthink what is happening here and overconsider. You know, I could have done a message like all the ways fishing is like, uh, you know, serving and following Jesus. Hey, he doesn't want us to do that. We know what he wants us to see. You're going to turn your attention to something important. I'm gathering a people. I want to help you be a part of gathering these people into my kingdom. That's it. And this is just the way they could wrap their mind around it. The point is the one that you get right away. Jesus is inviting them to participate in his mission, which is sort of like netting fish, except it's focused on netting people. And Jesus is equating, this is what I want you to see. Jesus is equating following him with learning to do that. Jesus takes his evangelistic mission of seeking and pursuing the lost, and he says this is what you're going to learn to do. 
if you follow me. If you follow me, I've got a plan and purpose for you. And a big part of it is this mission is at the, that is at the center of what I'm up to. So Jesus is equating following him with learning to do that. It's what he will do to you if you follow him. It's what you will learn to work at if you follow him. It's what the work of the kingdom will be if you follow him. Gathering people to turn to him and believe the good news of the kingdom of God. That is what we are called in our fellowship of Jesus to participate in. In a sense, it is the family business of the people of God. It gets even clearer when you look closely at the construction of verse 17. Look at it with me. The phrase feels a little clunky. I will make you become. Doesn't that sound a little weird? You just say, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus says, I'm, I will make you to become fishers of men. He, he's like inviting you into this process where I've got some work I'm going to have to do on you. I, and, and Jesus Uh, calls us to follow him because he intends to make something out of us through his training of us as we obey his word, walk together. Now, the word make there is important because it's the word poieto, and it means fashion or craft something. So it's a a particular word that, uh, that Mark chooses here. Our word poem comes from this Greek word, which is a fashioning, you know, poem is a fashioning or crafting of words. So when we use poieto, in this kind of making, we're thinking about like giving attention to how something is shaped and it's crafted and prepared for something important. And so Jesus says, follow me and I will make you, I will fashion you into this thing. I'm going to fashion you into becoming a fisher of men. So if you follow, follow Jesus and walk with him, you, and you ask yourself, what is he trying to make me into? Well, in addition to just helping you order your life around his word, He's fashioning, fashioning you into a missionary. I mean, there's no other, you know, we've taken this missionary word and we've cast it to, you know, a special elite group, but he is fashioning them to be fishers of men. I'm going to make you become this thing. So let me make my point clear in a couple of ways. Mission, particularly evangelism, sharing the gospel with other people, matters to Christians because the mission matters to Christ. So following Jesus is learning to care about what he cares about. If you're here today and you want to understand Jesus, here's what you need to know. Jesus is on a mission to gather you into his kingdom. Jesus wants, to, wants you to be part of what he is doing. Jesus is on a mission to gather you into his kingdom. And if you were to read the Bible carefully, you will see that Jesus wants people like you to be drawn into a relationship with God that he has come to make possible. If you just walked in here today and you're like, I'm still trying to figure out all this Christianity stuff. I, I need some help just wrapping, wrapping my head around it. Listen, Jesus came on a mission so that you would understand and know God's love. That he could come and he could reconcile you back to God so you could understand your purpose. He makes no excuses. Jesus makes no excuses that we have gone astray. We have been lost and he is seeking us. We have wandered off like sheep, he says, and he is here to draw us back. We are slaves to sin 
And He's coming to invite us out of slavery, to be forgiven and free, to cut the rope from our captors. We are like a son who rejected and dishonored his father and lost it all, living for ourselves. And He's coming to tell us that God wants us to come back home. Jesus has that mission for you today. He's here to make sure you know it with crystal Clarity. We are like a people with an illness who have no doctor. And he has come to make a house call and bring the remedy. All of these are the ways of saying that at our core, we are sinners who need God's love. And the whole point of Jesus' life is to gather us up and bring us back to know the love of God. Eventually, in order to do that, Mark is going to show us that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrificial death in the place of our sins. It speaks to the fact that we deserve judgment from God. And Jesus offered himself to stand in our place to take that judgment and the penalty of our sin at the cross. In his mission, he paid the cost and offers us to come freely to receive salvation with God as a free gift. And he wants you to know. Do you remember, Christian, the time when you finally knew He wanted you. Like, not that you just heard the gospel, but like, it came to you in power, and all of a sudden you're like, I think he wants me to come home. I think he wants me to be forgiven for that sin that's burdened me. I think he wants me to belong and not feel like an outcast. Do you remember when he came and he found you? Has anybody, has anybody been saved? And can remember that day or that season in your life when he, when his mission came to you? That's Jesus' mission. That's what he cares about. That's what he shed his blood for. People like you and I knowing that we have the opportunity to come back to the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ and be received by grace and not our own performance, but abundant love. Now don't miss this. Following Jesus then leads to being fashioned by Jesus for this evangelistic mission. Following Jesus means we open our lives up to be shaped, to be a part of making sure other people know. (laughs) Now you may say, oh, everybody knows about Jesus. Listen, listen, people are confused about spiritual things, about what is true, about God. They have all kinds of things. Listen, who's going to... They don't always know. You, they may know Jesus. They may know some sort, sort of details. Increasingly in our own culture, the people that live around you don't know. Nobody has ever taken the risk to just talk to them about it. To, to help them work through their details. You remember your questions, your concerns. And you just, we, we think just because they aren't with us where they're at, that they, that they know, they don't always know. And the question is, who is going to tell them? Who's going to slow down long enough to hear their misunderstandings and plead with them that they would understand what the Bible really says about God's love for them? 
Who's going to answer that nagging question that they have about is God really good? Because deep down it's a question about pain in their life when they lost something they cared about. And Jesus says, listen, I want to fashion you into someone who can help others hear this message that is good news and prepare to see that God is building a kingdom where they can be free from their sin, where they can be renewed and healed, and for all eternity they'll be at rest. And Jesus is inviting us to join Him to gather people so that they'll know Following Jesus leads to being fashioned by Jesus for this evangelistic mission. If that's going to happen, we're going to become a people available to Jesus for his mission. What are we going to need to do? Third thing we see is urgency. Notice Jesus calls for a decisive devotion. Verse 18 and 20 both picture the response of these disciples in a way that is memorable and instructive. In the text, it's highlighted by the word immediately. It's also highlighted by the total lack of detail in verse 18. They left their nets and followed him. But wait! Did they sell their houses and, you know, rearrange their bank accounts? They left their nets and followed him. Do you feel that? But wait, did they, did they take their families? Mark's just like, they left their nets and followed him. But what about the other details of the life? They, they, left, their, they left their nets. Was it, was it wise for them to leave this business behind? Maybe not by some standards, but it was Jesus who was calling them. They left their nets and followed him. When we... When we get something that raises that many questions in the text, we can either soften the blow and explain it away and say, hey, you know, it's all about, sure, make sure you get all these details arranged. Or we can think about what it is conveying. There's a sense of decisiveness and devotion required to following Jesus. In verse, you don't get to have all your questions answered. Sometimes you have to decide, am I a yes? Am I a yes? Am I going to show up? Jesus, you can use me. I'm a yes. I'm not going to ask a bunch of questions, get everything arranged. Just do what you will. I will follow you where you're taking me. And you leave your nets. That's what he wants us to feel as we read this. He wants you to have all those questions. Sure, you've got questions like, what is it going to cost me? Yes, what is it going to cost? What will you have to let go and leave behind? Great question, but do you want to follow Jesus where he wants to lead you? We try to soften the blow, but there's this decisiveness. In verse 20, they're described as leaving their father in the boat. Again, we don't get comfortable details that say, hey, they were calm, rational people, took time to get things in order, make arrangements. No, it just says they followed him. The discomfort of it all is is the point for us as the listener. Because it challenges us to look at our lives and ask the question, what am I holding on to that is keeping me from a wholehearted devotion to Christ and His mission? Because following Jesus always means we have to drop some things first. Always. 
every time. The point isn't that everyone leaves behind a vocation to follow Christ and do his mission. That's not the point. But it is clear from this passage that following Christ is worth dropping everything else you do. Whether it is the beginning of the journey or at critical points along the way, if we are going to follow Jesus, we are going to have to drop our nets and say goodbye to some people in our lives, to some things in our lives, to some ambitions in our lives, to all kinds of things, so that we can have the urgency to prioritize the mission that is at the heart of Jesus and His kingdom. So here are some of the things as we close that you might have to drop to prioritize the mission of Jesus. And as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper and think about Jesus' death and sacrifice on the cross, we want to just open our hands and our hearts to say, Jesus, will drop whatever it is so that we can follow you into the heart of your mission. Cultural acceptance. Maybe it's cultural acceptance. It's unacceptable culturally to believe that Jesus even needed to go on a mission. If we stay in the flow of our cultural acceptability, we have to agree that everyone's perspective is equal. We're not here to proclaim, listen, we are not here to proclaim our perspective against other people's perspective. We are here to announce Jesus, the divine Son of God, and proclaim confidently what Simon Peter himself did, that there's, salva- there's no salvation in any other, for there's no name other than Jesus given under heaven by which we are saved. Maybe you need to come to a place of conviction today that this is true, so that you can learn to carry that with the right kind of humility and recognize that it's not going to always be culturally acceptable. Second, Family affirmation. Many of you may have the blessing of a family that supports your Christian faith, but sometimes we can be held back by the fears of other people who don't yet understand the significance of Jesus' promise in the gospel. When Jesus comes, sometimes you have to step out in faith and follow him where he is leading in your life, even if it doesn't make sense. From the beginning of Christianity, that has been the case. In order to follow Jesus, these brothers had to leave Zebedee fishing. They had to leave Zebedee and Sons Fishing Supply Company, and they had to get on with the business of following Jesus. And they weren't dishonoring their father, but they were showing the priority of honoring Jesus as Lord. And I wonder if there might be some of you that are maybe a little held back from some some something that God would have you do as you're thinking, well, what's my family going to think? Personal ambitions. Ambition isn't bad. I accidentally got a boatload. There may be many things you want to accomplish in life. Listen, but if there's not increasing space to give yourself to the mission of sharing the gospel with people through connecting with them in their ordinary lives, then we may need to drop some things in order to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Some, for some of you today, responding to this message is saying, God, I got some things in my hand that I, I'm going to have to, if I'm going to spend more time learning to walk in your footsteps, I'm going to have to put some other stuff down. Elite conditions in Prince William County, one of the 10 wealthiest counties in America. We got it good. But, you know, where, where are some of the places God may call us to carry the gospel, to minister? Where, what's the most strategic way that we can use our lives? 
Where are people that we need to get in the middle of their lives, regardless of what the neighborhood is? Regardless of the country. The disciples in this story are going to end up in a lot of places that will require adjustment and change in their life to pursue the mission. They dropped their nets and they followed him. And I don't know what it's going to look like in the days ahead in our life as a church, but we've been praying this year that God would use us increasingly in an evangelistic way in his mission, that God would bring 25 people to faith in Christ that we baptized here at Pillar. And listen, I didn't have a plan at the beginning of the year how we're going to make that happen. I'm just being honest with you. But, but I knew that we were going to have to drop our nets. That there's going to be some things that are going to have to shift and change in our lives as we pursue Christ together. As we follow him and continue to let him fashion us as a people that he can use here in Prince William County, Northern Virginia and beyond. So what is it for you? Let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we go into a time of prayer and prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. God, we thank you for your word. We come humbled before you asking for you to put your shaping hands on us. Lord, and even right now as we're reflecting on these words, Lord, would you, would you help us to hear what it means for us to drop our nets. Lord, speak it in our language so that we'd be ready to follow you wherever you're leading. So Lord, we ask for courage and strength in your Holy Spirit to let you fashion us in fresh ways. Share in that testimony with us. So we're going to have the elements go. To-